0: Welcome to this week's episode of The Dude Therapist. We have an inspiring episode this week. Um, really brought me to tears afterwards, actually. Got a little emotional at the end, and um, and you'll see why. Um, well, this week we have Amanda Booth on. Amanda Booth is an actress, model, and a mama based in Los Angeles. She has appeared on network television shows such as Hot in Cleveland and Community. Her campaign work includes advertisement for Fiat, Hershey's, Target, and Old Navy. Her focus has broadened since becoming a mother in 2014 to a son with Down syndrome. Amanda is now an ambassador for Changing the Face of Beauty and Global Down Syndrome Foundation, as well as a social media advocate. If you want to hear a passionate mother fighting for equality, and normalcy of all children. This podcast is just for you. Let's get right into it. So welcome to the Dude Therapist. I'm so excited to have a very inspirational uh, person in, I don't know her in real life. I just know her through social media, but she seems like an amazing human being. Amanda, can you please introduce yourself to the listeners?
1: Sure. Hey, <laughs> um, that was a lovely introduction all on its own, but my name is Amanda Booth, and I am a 34-year-old mom um, who is raising a, a delightfully curious and strong-willed uh, six-year-old who happens to have Down syndrome and autism, and um, I've been in this space of media and entertainment for 16 years, and since the birth of um, our son, Micah, have found myself becoming a a little advocate for the Differently Abled community.
0: I I, I love that story. It's not a little of an advocate. You're doing (laughs) unbelievable work, you know, and there are so many people out there who are struggling with what you have gone through. And one of the reasons that really pulled me into your account is the honesty and vulnerability that you have about one being a parent Mm -hmm. and, and really your family's story and, and and Micah's story of, of just what it means to have a child with Down syndrome. Yeah. I would love if you can just back up a little bit and tell us the story of what it was like being a parent, the expectations of having a kid. I have a kid of my own,
1: mm-hmm. and
0: then what it was like learning about Micah's diagnosis and and what that kind of changed for you.
1: Yeah, um, I thought we would be making this into an audio book, so the length that it will take me to explain all of that is perfect. Um, so, I mean, you know, first and foremost, the reason why I try to be so honest and authentic on our you know social media channels is because i feel like personally as a human being i learn the most through other people's vulnerabilities and you know when something is broken down to how it is real everyone can sort of dive in and it's not you know these like perfectly curated moments that everyone has become accustomed to on social media, I think push, they separate human beings farther from each other. And my whole purpose is to bring people closer. And then that's what I, that's what I aim to do. And sort of, I guess that that all evolved from our experience. And so going into almost 7 years ago when i was planning on having a a child like i was young and my husband and i both wanted to start a family we were sort of naive to what that was like i think yeah. you grow up and you have barbie dolls and you know baby dolls and you just as a neurotypical person myself imagine that's just what the world is and i think without personal experience, your horizons aren't really open to what the world really is and what other people are going through. And especially growing up, we didn't have access to social media and there wasn't diversity and inclusion in the media. And so I didn't see it on TV or even in my schools. And so when Micah was born and The pediatrician had recommended to us to do some genetic testing. We thought she was crazy. We're like, "I'm young. We had a healthy pregnancy. You're crazy. We're gonna go home and take care of our baby." And then we did. And a few months later, our our actual chosen pediatrician was like, "Maybe we should check if he has Down syndrome." Like, all right. And then he got this diagnosis. And I think what was really interesting about our journey through discovering that Micah did have Down syndrome was that we had a couple of months of his life. We got to live getting to know him as a baby, as a person before we came up with these ideas of what life was going to be like for us. And that was like the biggest blessing for us. And we started our work. We started finding families that were living a life that looked like ours mm-hmm. because the internet was <laughs> was not a kind place to go for information. Yes. I can't say that it even is yet a mm-hmm. kind place for that sort of thing. And um, the vulnerability of other families sharing their story that gave me hope and connection to a world. I was so far removed from my whole life is really what encouraged me to continue on with that type of thing across Mm -hmm. my social media channels, which up until that point, I had really only used for work.
0: Yeah. And, you know, I love, you know, I I recently had Oakley Peterson on um, and she calls, uh, who told me I should have you on, by the way, (laughs) Uh, and uh, the idea of up syndrome. Right, she calls mm. it the up syndrome, and I've noticed by really learning and tapping into it, uh, the community that you guys mm. are involved in that I am not in. My wife used to be involved in an organization out in L.A., a Jewish organization called Edda Israel, and there are a few Jewish organizations that I know of, and it's just amazing the words that change. Mm. How has that happened? Because you used your, your word neuronormal, I believe
1: neurotypical
0: neurotypical sorry I don't yeah. like that word as a therapist I don't like the word normal so I was right. like baby, Should I say this word because I hate yeah, that because I don't think anyone's normal I don't think anyone's no. normal right and our, I think no. typical means our expectations are what is typical for society whatever yeah, the word is
1: slow exactly
0: yeah. how has that been for you noticing now that you're in the community the different words that people use to describe others and maybe some mm. of the destructive language we might use about other people
1: yeah I mean I just think it's exciting, first of all, to be a part of all, to be a part of all of this uh, revolutionizing of the way we articulate things is on the foreground of forever, for everyone, all different, you know, minority groups. And it is certainly something that I hadn't um, really had a chance to dive into in my previous life. My Mm -hmm. I'm I'm now post-Mica life and then my before Micah life. Um and I think that it's incredible that we are such an evolved civilization and we are so educated and that we are now holding individuals accountable for, you know, thinking before they speak. And I think (laughs) these you know, I guess you, you can even hear it in my voice. I just think it's really important to take our time and think about what we want to say. And these new, new normal with how we speak about other people, uh, I think kind of forces you to do that. You know, it makes you think like, okay, it's, you know, people first language, you know, my son who has Down syndrome, like now when people say, oh, I have a Down syndrome niece, I get it. You're like, Oh, suddenly my soul feels crushed and never would have before. And Mm -hmm. and I think I'm never offended because I think the most important part about connecting with other people are finding, you know, teachable moments. And, and you speak then with them in ways that they'll remember that encounter. And then they'll consider it moving forward, not destructively and beating people down where then they feel defensive and they don't learn anything. And I, I know there's people who are far more sensitive than I am when it comes to the language of things, but I try my best to keep up with the times. (laughs) And I'm just glad that, you know, that the differently abled community is being a part of that conversation. Cause I feel like we get left out of a lot of things as far as like, you know, forward momentum in society and what's acceptable and what we accept and what we don't anymore and asking for change, demanding change. um, We really get left out. So that, that I have a position to tell people now, oh, we prefer to, you know, say differently abled instead of disabled, or, you know, I'm okay with being called a, a special needs mom, but some people might not be, or they'll prefer to be called a mom who has a child with special needs. We like, you know, we like backstory. We like yeah. long sentences. So.
0: <laughs> and, you know, something that I, I really like to get a sense of because, you know, I'm a, I'm a parent myself and I, I have expect, I had expectations while my wife was pregnant about the should and shouldn'ts of my child, the the classic typical expectations of how a child should or shouldn't be. Mm -hmm. How was that transition for you going from those expectations to the reality that my child is different? Not that that's bad, right? different from what my expectations were, or the typical neurotypical, like you said, what was that like mentally, that mental health struggle? What was that like for you? That Mm -hmm. transition going from what you expected to what the reality was?
1: I think, I think that's a journey that we're still on. Mm -hmm. Um, You know? I I know that it took a really long time for Mike and I to be able to speak with one another in an open way. We, we both kind of felt like we had to be strong for one another in those beginning days of everything is fine, everything is going to be fine. And then once we kind of broke it down, you know, hearing him reflect on having those moments of, oh, I anticipated I, you know, I'm a motorcycle riding dad and I couldn't wait to like, Build cars with my son and you know, take him on his first motorcycle ride at five. And, you know, that that sadness that came along with this reality we thought we were living, which was, oh, the doctors say he can't do any of this, so he's never gonna do any of this. And really, it ended up being a gift because we realized that never in any of our lives as as parents do we actually have very much control over what our kids are going to or not going to do, let alone what they are going to want to do or not want to do. Um, And so I felt very fortunate that we could both be so honest with each other that I feel like it opened up the doors for us to kind of work on and put in practice, letting go, you know, I had to let go during childbirth. It didn't go at all how I wanted it to, or planned it to. And then we had to let go of what, you know, parenting was going to look like, or childhood was going to look like. And there's so, there's so much freedom in letting go of that and realizing that your job is to just, be close enough by to catch him if he falls. Mm -hmm. And that is, that is it to just push up and recognize he is a person who is not me and he, and he is not his father and he will do what he wants to do. And, and then, you know, three years ago, now we had a secondary diagnosis of autism and that was another, that, that was a harder pill to swallow really because we had, ju- we had just sort of like dove into the down syndrome community and we were like, okay, now we've met adults who are living with down syndrome and teens. We kind of have an idea of like what life's going to look like. We started doing that thing again, that yeah. human thing where we're like, I get you. I know you, here's your box. And then Micah just like busted out of it and was like, what box? You crazy mom. I thought, I thought I taught you. Um we we're like, Oh no, we, now we don't know again. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And it's uh, and so sometimes it's tough because we don't really totally fit in with our typically down syndrome peers. And then our peers with down syndrome, see happens to the best (laughs) of us. Um, And then we don't necessarily fit into our, our friends with autism or the neurotypical world. It's like, Oh boy, we're just like figuring it out day by day and so yeah sometimes there's sadness in that where there's there's some sort of peace that comes along like as human beings with like feeling like we've had it figured out Mm -hmm. like like there like that's like that's some like big piece of the puzzle because uncertainty is so terrifying and especially both dad and I are alphas and we like really like leading the way and control that's why I'm terrified of flying but um you know, there's no control in any of this, um, and that's such a scary place to be. But it's also such a freeing, and that's where the magic comes from. Like he yeah. is, he is unlike any other kid, and even a friend of mine when he was first diagnosed was like, you know what? I knew you, I knew you were going to have an extraordinary life, like this boring typical, was just not in the cards for you. And that was such a beautiful thing to hear. And it it really made me feel very special. And I think that it's really cool. Like we get to have such a different life. Um, and I'm grateful for it. And it certainly strains my mental health, um, Mm -hmm. time to time, just as any life for anyone does, you know, we all have, Days where we feel low and out of control because there's so much external, you know, kind of pulsing through us every day. If you're stressed at work, then you're more worried about your child's future. And, and if you, if you just get a promotion or for me, if I have a booking, then I'm like, you know, on top of the world for a day and everything feels light and easy. And it's a constant, you know, ebb and flow between all the spheres of emotions
0: and I love that because you know I think what people forget is that I work with kids as a therapist I am a father and it is stressful no matter what and who your child is going to be or is now Mm -hmm. yeah it always tests your mental capacity your patience it tests the relationship that you have with your partner Mm -hmm. whether You expected or didn't expect it, saying my daughter's turning two in a couple of weeks, and she tests us all the time. Oh, yeah. And there are moments where we cannot believe that we love something more than anything else in the world. You know, you touched upon a little bit about the lesson that Micah taught you about that letting go. Mm -hmm. What other things do you think that you have learned or grown as a parent or human now? going through this experience, having Micah that you might not have had, having a neurotypical child?
1: Yeah. Well, I think one of the biggest ways is also reflecting upon what you said, the, the way that Mike and I have to be with each other on the same plane, the same team is so incredibly difficult mm-hmm. at times, like it would be for any parent. But for us, we have this whole extra, you know, Mike is nonverbal. So we have to, you know, Sherlock Holmes and dissect what we think is going on. And mm-hmm. I have an idea and he has an idea. And if if we aren't connecting on that, it's, it's so incredibly difficult. But the way that it has uh, given me growth as a human being is to think outside of my brain and my heart and try to realize where dad's coming from and why he is reacting the way that he is and to have more patience for my partner and, um, and for my own self. And then the way that we've learned to communicate with one another is like, and I, I never ever would have had access to that. I really don't mm-hmm. think I would have if we didn't have to dig as deep as we do sometimes. And so the personal growth that I've had with that is really, you know, transcendent to into our our marriage and then as a human, I mean the amount of slowing down that we've been gifted um, is incredible. I've always been a more, I, I, I feel as though I've always been a more present and, um, I really thrive. I thrive on connecting with people and like getting rid of all the noise. And, um, it's really just given me an even deeper level of that than I ever thought was imaginable. We get so excited at these, like, Like micro glimpses of the neurotypical world where he, you know, he went yesterday and picked up a toy. He's almost seven. He picked up a toy and started playing with it. And we both, like, almost started crying because we were like, oh my gosh, he's, he is so independent in this moment that he's making this choice for himself. He doesn't need us anymore. And it's huge. And we also noticed it. I feel like you know, we, so often in the typical world, um, when our kids are so capable, we really miss a lot. We miss a lot of the little things. That's why mm. when people, people cry when their kids turn four, because they're like, they're growing up so fast. Me, I'm like, hallelujah. We're like, we're almost at 10, which means we're almost at 20, which means like, maybe he'll put him to put himself to bed someday. <laughs> like I, I love it. I love it. And, uh, I, I think that that's the that's the biggest gift in the area of growth is learning to slow down and the gift of slowing down is seeing everything
0: you're literally preaching to something that I value so much um, as healthy parenting because one of the biggest things is being present and there you know I talk to my wife about this a lot where I'll sit there and look at my daughter and go did you see that? Mm-hmm. Did you see that she, did ex- and she's done it a billion times,
1: right? Well,
0: she'll smile or la- was well, something she does that is just so simple, but it's not simple because it's a miracle and ridiculous. Yeah, any child could do X, Y, and Z, whatever it is. And it's really about honing in on those small things to appreciate them because it makes you be really aware as a person. Because then you hone in on your partner's things. And your friends and society. <laughs> and I think that's something that is lost in the neurotypical world. As I, you know, stalked your account to look at some pictures and some things that you wrote and uh, not in an unhealthy way. I promise I didn't. Stop. <laughs> I have to like add that caveat. And, and you know, <laughs> whether it's with Oakley Peterson or other people that are so yeah. really or living with a little extra that account. Also mm-hmm. all these beautiful accounts are teaching I think the typical parents, what it truly means to be in tune as a parent. Yeah. I think we forget. I think we forget as a society, which leads me then to my next question. As a society in this world that you are now really a leader in helping advocate and fight for, what are some changes that you have seen or that Mm -hmm. you are working on that you're seeing that will hopefully benefit um, a lot of people who are struggling with the same issues? Or similar.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, one of the greatest things that I've been able to see are through social media is an outlet for people who are getting a prenatal diagnosis and they're looking for a place to go to, I mean, quite literally make decisions, you know what I'm saying? And to be a space where mothers and fathers can ask questions, like real questions about mm. what is this going to look like for us? Yeah. Um, then I don't think to have,
0: doctors touch upon that.
1: They don't. And but I think and having also, that realness
0: from another human being who was going through it or went through yes. it. Oh
1: yeah. There are also doc, many doctors are still living in like 1982, which is very different. Um, Down syndrome looked different than, than it does now. And, um, I, yeah, I have had women, you know, write me a a month or two after our, our initial conversations and been like, you were right. I'm here. I'm on the other side. And I love this baby more than I ever thought I could. And, you know, my baby is such a blessing. And just to be able to offer a little bit of a real life sounding board for people is like the biggest area of growth. Um, I work really closely with the Global Down Syndrome Foundation, and they even came out with a new pamphlet for um, prenatal diagnoses. And it talks about, it's not antiquated, it talks about the real health side of things and developmental side of things. Today and what everything is going to look like today. And it's honest, it's it's not like a sugar coating thing, but I would say that's one of the greatest advances we've made is access to real life information for families in that situation. Um, and an area that I think still needs vast improvement is in the schools. I was shocked when we started trying to find an elementary school for Micah, I was shocked at how many schools did not have resources. That means they literally don't have special education classrooms or special education certified teachers, which means our children cannot go to that school. So I have friends who are having to drive their kids 15, 20 minutes away from their house, away from the school where siblings go, um, to have access to an education and that's like free public education that all of us pay with our tax dollars for. And it's literally segregation in schools. And I like, my mind was blown. I just thought, Oh, you know, that's another thing. You're, you're so naive, right? You're like, I have a kid. My kid will go to school. My kid will graduate school and go to college and move out and have a house and a job. That is not our world at all. I have no idea what comes after school, I I didn't even realize he couldn't just go to school, Mm -hmm. that we have to find a school. And then we have to fight with the school to have access to the general population of kids. And so there is so much room for growth there. There's so much that needs to change there because like we were just camping this past weekend and we were walking by this Little family and a kid whispers to his friend, Oh, it's a kid. It's an ugly kid. And my husband goes, Hey. And the mom's like, That's not nice. And he answers her and says, What? He really is an ugly kid. And we're just standing there, heartbroken. And the mom said nothing. And the kid said nothing more to it. And those are the moments we really need to advocate. That's when we look at each other and say, What do we do here? How can, Our hearts are broken. And how can we approach this five-year-old who has no idea because he's never seen a kid like ours? Mm -hmm. That's why it's important for kids like ours to be in school so that every kid has access to what a person with special needs looks and acts like and that they're all going to the same place. That means they're all doing the same thing. They're Mm -hmm. the same, meaning they're kids who are somewhere to learn. And without that, we have this huge disconnect in society and that's where, you know, biasm and racism and sexism and all of that stems from is what we're exposed to as kids. And so, you know, every time they walked by us again, I just made sure to call attention to that child and was like, isn't he having so much fun? Like, look at him. He's so happy. You know, I want him to know I'm okay to talk about this with you if you want. And I want you to look at my son. I don't want you to look away. Don't want you to be hushed and, and told not to stare. Stare and ask me questions. He's smiling. He's happy. Just like Oakley says, there is nothing down about it. He is living his best life and he looks different. And if you want to know why, I'm here to talk about it. Um, and so, yeah did wow. that answer that
0: was so beautifully said i gotta tell you if that was me and my kid i would have punched that kid in the face so oh, yeah i thought
1: mike was close i was like he like yo i would have like, i would have
0: oh, no. or or punch the mother in the face <laughs> something because yeah you know, it's, if we were well,
1: closer i would have tripped someone for sure but we, <laughs> we were further away so
0: sorry um didn't see you there but it's so it's a, yeah. it's so frustrating because i think the lack of connection to other whatever that is
1: mm-hmm.
0: whatever that is in society causes a lack of education understanding and creates hate and division
1: 100%
0: and not even purposefully right but just by nature of if you don't know something if you've never seen it before if you don't understand it why would you accept it why would you? Yeah. we we're, we're built to to defend ourselves to the other to the danger that we don't know yeah. yes so the more we integrate the more we connect The more we kind of show the world, the other people in the world that aren't typical, big quotes, big quotes, Yep. it really helps the bigger picture of society and our human connection for our future. You know, as you were talking about the lack of support in schools, as a therapist, I've had to advocate for some of my clients who were on the autism spectrum
1: Mm -hmm.
0: to get them um, assessed, to get funding, to write paperwork after paperwork, after paperwork, after paperwork, just to convince a school to change the IEP or some services to get a para, to get help in the school. And it upset me as a therapist. I'm not even a parent right, of a child on the spectrum or on a child who struggles in different ways than the typical school can handle. So my heart breaks because it needs to change. It has to change. Because there are so many people who are going through that. Why wouldn't you give that service? Yeah. So I love the fact that you're doing so many things for so many people. And the fact that you're bringing it out, the fact that you're posting so many pictures of Micah and showing people and people spreading it and sharing it just shows what a child looks like. That might Mm -hmm. not be like your child, but is a child that is beautiful and magical and unique in their own way. And that's great. Mm
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I think kids are mean, no matter what you do,
1: yeah, but, they are. Right?
0: they're always mean. <laughs> I think, uh, recently, um, a side note, my wife and I were, were at someone's house and the kids were playing with a Frisbee. My daughter's not even two, she cannot throw a Frisbee and yeah. it dropped right in front of her feet. And this three-year-old boy, very close family friend goes, Ricky, that's not how you throw a Frisbee and started making fun of my daughter. And my <laughs> wife was there and she got all mama bear on this kid. And I was like, it's the stupidest example, but kids, if they don't understand it, if they don't like it, if they don't agree with it, if they have other thoughts, they say it Yes, they say it with no filter. Yeah. And the more we educate the parents, the more we educate the schools and society and policies that will mm-hmm. impact the language we were, use,
1: mm-hmm.
0: how we talk to other people and how we yeah. see other people. Um, And like I said earlier, my wife was involved in an organization for years. I was afraid to be involved in the organization because I didn't understand it. I didn't Mm -hmm. understand and thought it was just not my speed. But luckily Mm -hmm. I grew up in a, a, a community in Long Island, New York, that had a weekend retreat for adults. They had two different parts of the organization, adults and children with Down syndrome. Mm-hmm. Come to the weekend and stay with families and have meals, and it was eye opening just to see someone who wasn't like me and see that they were loving, caring, nice, and 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 people and people, yep. and that's yeah. all it is. we're all people.
1: Yep. And yeah.
0: Yeah. What were we gonna say?
1: Oh, I was just gonna jump in real quick because I think you know there there's a there's a lot of ways there's a lot of different things that classify one human as being different from one another Mm -hmm. and what's really been amazing as far as you know sexual orientation and and ethnicity and a socioeconomic background like these these types of different classifications um, people have this ability now to speak up for themselves and to talk about their experience and you can talk about your human experience and why you didn't feel invited to the conversation about people with disabilities or why you felt, you know, the, the Jewish community, the thing about people with intellectual disabilities is they often can't speak up for themselves. Mm-hmm. And so there's a huge gap of um, people, including the, the minority group of people living with intellectual disabilities to this big table of we all belong, we all need to be diversifying and including because mm. they don't have that voice, yeah. and so it's important for people like me or people like you who had those dinners with people with Down syndrome to to show up on their behalf. And um, I just want to make sure everyone is considering that in these you know larger conversations. And that's, that's why it's so important.
0: And, and so just to wrap up a little bit, where can people find you? Where can they connect with you? And I would really love to add something to the episode. I would love for people to donate to an organization. Mm -hmm. What organization would you like people to give money and spread awareness about?
1: Yeah. I mean, our, we work so closely with the global down syndrome foundation. And the reason why they're so near and dear to us is because what they're doing is they're funding medical research for people living with Down syndrome. Down syndrome is the least funded genetic condition by the United States government. And so they come in and try to lobby for more funding and they fundraise to create their own funding. And they have a medical institute in um, Denver, Colorado, because for all of eternity, all of existence, people with down syndrome were literally forgotten and discarded. And there's, there's so much we don't know about the biology of people living with down syndrome. And they're there to figure all that out. And I think there's some keys to uh, the rest for the rest of us too. um, With the way the body works for someone with down syndrome and as parents, that's information I need to have just as we all want for our kids and their future. The one thing we want, right. How can we keep our kids healthy? That's like, that's literally all we can kind of control. The rest is like, you know, up for grabs, but so we love global Down syndrome foundation because they are, that is exactly what they're doing. They're solving these. They're putting the pieces together of this puzzle of life and we love them so very much. Um, And as far as us, we're on the old gram at uh, Life with Micah and just my name, Amanda underscore Booth. And hopefully someday we will, you know, go bigger with it and find ourselves uh, with a website where we can consolidate a lot of our information. Um, But that's where we are for now.
0: Amazing. Amanda, thank you so much for spending the time talking about such honesty about your family, your beautiful child, and what people might not know, and maybe help them see a little different side on Mm -hmm. what it means to go through Down syndrome, to have a family with someone with Down syndrome in their family, Mm -hmm. and to be a voice of support that people might not have found. So I really appreciate all you're doing for so many people, including myself. So thank you so much, (laughs) and uh, hope to stay in touch.
1: Yeah, thanks to you too.
0: Thank you so much to listening to this week's episode of The Dude Therapist, and it only is happening because of you, the listeners, tuning in every week, even twice a week, to this show all about mental health, relationships, and wellness topics, and really, let's be honest, everything in between. And I'm so excited to show up every time and having great guests. So thank you. And if you have any questions, concerns, ideas, collaborations, email me at thedudetherapist at gmail.com. Follow me on Instagram at thedudetherapist. Let me know what you're thinking. Let me know your ideas. I can't wait to hear from you. And if you can go along, subscribe, rate, review on all the streaming sites that you're listening on, I truly appreciate it because that's what make this thing happen. So thanks for tuning in this week. And see you next time on the Dude Therapist podcast, so we've got more guests and more great content coming your way.